I'd like you to join me in the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. And I would also suggest you might as well get used to this passage. You're going to see it quite a bit. Galatians, chapter number 5. For those of you working electronically, we're going to uh, start in verse 13. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. The sermon series I have uh, prepared for you begins today. It's called The Internal Battlefield. And we're going to spend time here in Galatians 5, 13 through 26 for a little while. So I'm going to read it to you first and we'll have our word of prayer and then start our study here today. For you were called to freedom, freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Heavenly Father, we have a passage in front of us that is so important in the everyday aspect of our life. And you have written these words for us. And we thank you, Lord. We begin a study where we will contemplate them seriously and We ask as we even begin that you might use them to profoundly make an impact in our lives, that we will be different because of this study. Help us, we pray, because without your grace, we can do nothing, as Steve has just sung for us. And so we depend upon you to do your great work in our life. For your word is powerful and sharp and does accomplish everything you set out for it to do. May we be willing participants in the process. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us and your love for us and your mercy and your grace. Even now, in this time of need, we have to be more like you. So work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The, inter- the internal battlefield. Do you have one of those? I hope by the, if you're not convinced of that, I hope by the end of this morning you will be. 
you see over the course of the five years that the Lord has privileged me to serve here in Hillsdale, I love, I love the opportunity. I just love it so much. We have covered so many wonderful doctrines, essential things. Uh, we've looked at eschatology, the study of end times, and we've talked about the rapture. We've talked about future events. Uh, we've spent time in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've focused a lot on the sacrifice of Christ. We found Isaiah 53 came up every time communion did as well. We spent time in that study. We've been in Ephesians chapter 1. And we've seen uh, God's investment in us and all the blessings that we have because of Christ Jesus. We, we've gone to Psalm 103 and we've talked about His mercy. And I use the phrase buckets. And indeed it is. Buckets of mercy that He has given to us. Uh, we've seen in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 how He has put us in His toolbox and how He uses us for His Ministry. We've gone to First John chapter 3 and talked about fitness, spiritual fitness, uh, the Christian's fitness in our relationship with Christ. We've gone through Romans, as you know, just recently, and discussed the foundations of our faith. And all that to say we've also covered Christmas pretty well, and Easter pretty well, and Thanksgiving as well. We've covered a lot of topics. And all the way through that, I've uh, spoke on the issues of salvation. And every now and then I'll bring up that point that we must remember. We need it. And the Lord has provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. And I've appealed to you on many occasions that uh, you examine your faith and know whether or not you're in Christ Jesus. And uh, up to this time we've covered a lot of territory. Now it's 2016. And I've got a couple of passages that are my goal this year to work through with you. And it deals with one thing that I call our, our biggest challenge. How to live godly in an ungodly world. Would you agree that's a challenge? Absolutely so. That's what we're going to spend some time on because it concerns our Christian walk. Our Christian walk. And I'd be surprised if any of us would claim to have completely understood and are operating 100% according to the Bible's instructions on the Christian walk. Remember, what we are called to be is holy as God is holy. And from our understanding of God, He is holy all the time, and He never diminishes in it. How are we doing in comparison? Ah, I've purposely chosen these two passages. That This one, Galatians 5, and, and I'll tell you the other one in just a moment. But I've chosen them not because I, I desire just to stomp toes for the next five or six months. Uh, that's certainly not uh, my ambition, though if it happens. What, what do we say? If the shoe fits where? Is that the right expression? Uh, sometimes we do need a little bit of stomping. Um, but... I chose these two passages particularly because they answer two basic questions. Then I'm sure if I just pulled the, the Church of America and asked them uh, two things that uh, pertain to two big questions. One of them is, why do I struggle so much in the Christian life? 
That would be a very common thing among us. Why do I struggle so much in this Christian life? And then the second question somewhat relates to it, because when you look at yourself, you, you probably ask this, many people do, um, at what point does God give up on me? At what point does he give up on me? Those are personal issues, I know. But they're also somewhat universal among the Christians of our day and age. Uh, we understand the struggle. We know the struggle exists. But we are challenged by it at the same time. That's why we're going to Galatians 5 for the first half of our study. And we're going to look at that internal battlefield that exists within us. And then, when it deals with the, the doubts, because even in this study, the doubts are going to come to us. We're going to say, how long does he put up with me when I, I tend to go the opposite of his direction? Um, we're going back to Romans chapter 8, following this. And we scan through it in one sermon. We will then go and invest a great deal of time in that, because that chapter highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit and especially our security because of it. And that's how we will address doubts in the passage too. So both of these passages, by the way, I read to you Galatians 5, and you understand Romans chapter 8 to some degree. They both emphasize the Holy Spirit. And there's much for us to learn. Let me explain the title again. The internal battlefield. The concept is spiritual war. W-A-R. War. That is not just a skirmish. That's just not something of differing opinions. This is war that I'm going to discuss with you. Uh, keep your place here in Galatians and go back to Romans chapter 7. This is what has prompted my thinking especially. Romans chapter 7, verse number 14, a section that we have come to know pretty well because it, 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 it matches us, what Paul has written here. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, and on through the rest of uh, this chapter, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I do not practice, uh, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully compare with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war. See that phrase? Waging war, he says, against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, 
He asked a very good question then. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord is the answer. Now, he said waging war. You might have in verse 23 just the word warring translations. There's variety in that. And most of them come down to the same conclusion. It's a compound word in the Greek that has to be against something or opposite to something. And the other side is a military campaign. So it's put together. There's a military campaign. There's an army, if you will, standing against you in opposition to you. They intend to attack. Now, I found it interesting in playing with the words I always do. When you get down to the root idea of all of this attacking and campaigning and standing against, there's the idea of a strategy it comes from a word related to ours of strategy. And I just ask a question to start with here. Do you have a strategy for living, for competing in the Christian life? A strategy for living the Christian life. I'm not saying surviving. <laughs> That's generally our strategy, right? I just want to survive. That's not a strategy. <laughs> not exactly. When I was in high school, I wanted to survive high school. Been there before? I really, really detested the fact that we were required physical education courses. I was not physical in that way. I was not an athletic type of person. And the coaches seemed to enjoy putting me in the wrestling classes, which uh, was far beyond my ability at all. I had one strategy, and that was to survive. And I found ways to do that, which to the humor of my uh, teachers in those classes, I think they purposely put me on the ring on that mat just to watch how I did this. Uh, my idea, because I was tall and long and, and thin, I could spread myself out so well that they couldn't flip me. And that was my whole strategy, just to stay in one position that they couldn't flip me. So they, they were frustrated as can be, spinning me around and around and around and never getting me over. And that was my strategy. You don't win that way, but you don't lose really either. I said, well, okay. That's the way I survived. And I wonder if that might look like our Christian life at times. Oh, they're going to spin us round and round and round, but they're not going to get me over. And that's our strategy. That's not a strategy, folks, really. It's not really. Um, surviving is not what we're going to talk about here in this battlefield. It's not a matter of surviving. I, I guarantee you this. Our opponents have a strategy. They have a strategy. Now, typically, when, uh, when I say opponents, you say that's plural. That means more than one, right? Yes. We would sum it up this way. We, we say that our, our enemies in the Christian life are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We use those two phrases as, as identifications of the three that work against us. Of course, we speak of the devil. Matter of fact, we blame him uh, pretty readily for whatever's gone wrong. We even say that he made us do it, right? We would quickly say that he is one who opposes the believer. 
he is powerful. You know that. I don't make jokes about him, to tell the truth. Uh, um, I don't want to be careless about who he is. He is real, and he is active. Uh, he is described by Peter like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and that doesn't mean he just wants to give you a bad day. Devouring is much worse than that. We know, as John writes in 1 John chapter 5, that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When we talk about the devil, uh, Paul would add this in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, the one advantage we have in in this whole picture is simply, when you talk about Satan and his attacks, he can't be everywhere at one time. He's not omnipresent. So if he's up in Nash, or if he's in the Panhandle, or if he's in Oklahoma City right now, he's not here. Because he can't be everywhere at once. But he's not alone. There's world forces. There's world powers. That's what he just said in verse 12 of chapter 6. So, we know there's demonic activity, there's demons, there's Satan. That is enemy. That's an enemy for us, right? We can cite that easily. But we have a second enemy as well. A second enemy, fighting on a second front, if you will. It's called this world. It's a system that also operates in evil. And boy, does it bombard us. It's technique. All that is of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. They're not from the Father. That's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's of this world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. When... when um, my kids were young. We would often drive from Indiana all the way down to Florida to see my father and mother down there. And uh, the hardest part of our drive was going through Georgia because of the billboards. If you remember that, maybe 20 years ago, if you ever drove through Georgia, the billboards were offensive as can be. And Taylor, we said, how do you paint these windows black so our kids can't see out them? As we drive through, we said, let's go during night time so they can't see them and maybe they'll be asleep. And then the problem was the driver had eyes too and he couldn't close his. But our world is like that, isn't it? It bombards us on every side. You say, well, I'll just close my eyes. (laughs) That's a strategy, but it's not going to work in this picture. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. That's enemy number two. Now, it's hard enough to fight a battle on one front. It's when there are two fronts for the battle that you are now divided in your attention. There are three fronts. There are three fronts. And we're going to add the third one here to realize that that third enemy is actually wearing the same boots you are right now. That enemy is called the flesh. And it's an internal enemy. 
That's what Paul was saying there in Romans chapter 7 that I read to you. Let me review just a handful of those verses. And he said in verse number 20, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer doing it, but sin which dwells in me, he said. And in verse 21, he said, For I then find the principle that evil is present in me. And he says in verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In verse 23, I see that different law in the members of my body. Warring against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. So we have three fronts. But this one here is the one that concerns me greatly even now. The internal battlefield. The battle with the flesh. And I'm going to use that term and follow through with that term, the battlefield terminology here, because it's so easy to get complacent in this world. It's so easy to get comfortable in this world. To, to get careless in this world. That is easy to do. Uh, we are encouraged to relax, aren't we? Oh, just relax. That's what they're telling us. Uh, you take things too seriously. Uh, uh, you're making radical decisions and, and changes that will really make you stick out. Far too often, I believe our enemy, the enemy of our soul, offers to us a uniform like theirs. And they invite us to have dinner with them. It's not because they love believers. Alright? It's not because they love believers. Jesus already told us that the world will hate us because it has first hated him. But their gracious overture, this world is offering us the opportunity to be like them. It has the same effect, if you will, as being poisoned by teaspoons. They want us to be comfortable among them. They want us to conform to their way. You see, their goal is not unifying with the Christian. That is not their goal. Their goal is to eradicate to eliminate the Christian influence. They want to remove anything that is Christian from the world because it says in John 3 that the world hates the light because it exposes its deeds. They take it seriously. But their overture is for us to relax. Too often, I'm afraid, believers are just as uncomfortable with the light as they are. Because our deeds are evil too. It wouldn't be fitting for me, you see, as a pastor, to leave you unaware of the war. The war. It would not be right for me to leave you inactive in the battle. It wouldn't be right for me to soothe you to sleep. It would not be right, especially in light of the fact that this is not a battle that can't be won. We've got a serious conflict going on. And as John Calvin once said, he said, the ruin of the church is no small evil. So let's treat the war for what it is. The war. 
is a war. Let us not fight this war by our own strategies and by our own weapons. We must know what God is doing within us. That's important that we understand it. Let us know what the Spirit is doing because He, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. Do you know that? As a believer in Jesus Christ, He indwells you and Scripture says, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So I want to show you this morning, from Galatians chapter 5, and all that was just to get you ready. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We have a mandate. I don't want a softer word than that this morning. We have a mandate. A mandate to walk by the Spirit. He says in verse 16, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I call that a refrigerator verse. Put it on a 3 by 5 card and mount it to the front of your refrigerator. Everything else is there. Put that there too, if that's where you will see it the most. Or stick it to the mirror in the bathroom. Dashboard of the car. Carry it on a little three by five. Make it the the the, uh, the screen on your computer when you turn it on. You can type words onto that. What I'm going to suggest to you is put it in a place where it penetrates your heart. We used to call that memorizing. And here the pastor said, "Oh, memory verse time." Yep, memory verse time. It's not one we ought to forget. It ought to be set someplace. As scripture says, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? Here's a good verse for it. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, a couple of things I want to address as we understand this verse. And I'm not going into intense depth here this morning on that verse. We will. But here's some essential things that will serve us well in this study. First, the ease, the ease of becoming a casualty. That's the first thing I want to address because that is the background of the book of Galatians. This is the area that Paul went first in his missionary endeavors. His very first missionary trip was into the region of Galatia. There in Asia Minor, he, he ministered a great deal. They got a good portion of Paul's ministry there. Churches called Antioch Pisidia. Churches called Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. He went into that region and spent time there. Matter of fact, you'll find it interesting that from the second journey on, most of Paul's co-workers were from these towns. Timothy and others, they were all from this area where Paul ministered. Here were some of the hardest ministries he went through. He was even stoned in one of them, and they thought he had died. He got back up and went right back into the city. That must have been quite a scene. But that's where Paul ministered first, and that's where he gave much effort. But here's the trouble. As Paul writes this letter to the Galatians here, they had become lax in doctrine. 
They become lax in doctrine. Rather than keep up their guard, rather than test the things that they were told, they allowed inroads for a group we call the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a serious issue in the days of Paul. And I won't go through all that they actually did and, and how they tormented him on every step. Uh, but these folks were a little hard to identify in the sense that they didn't wear t-shirts with a big J on the front. They infiltrated your church, and they talked your talk, and they followed your everything that you did, they did, but they kind of mingled a couple of other things within that. As far as doctrine was concerned, they, they followed a, a, a mixture concept, if you will. It, it wasn't an obviously dangerous kind of message because it had a touch of the truth with a little truth. The Judaizer or the Christian doctrine was justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's Christian doctrine. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Judaizer's doctrine was justification by faith in law and tradition in ritual. And see, the laws were good. The traditions were good. The rituals were good. They were all good things. But they can't save you. See, your faith and your Christian life is not based upon ritual and law and tradition. But the minute you compromise, the minute you you let one aspect of that work its way into your doctrine of salvation. The truth of the gospel erodes beneath you. The doctrine diminishes, and guess what happens too? So does behavior. Paul says it so many times in this book. Chapter 3, verse 3. Let me give you some highlights. He says this, Are you so foolish? He writes to them. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? And then he says in the first two verses of this chapter, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Then he says in chapter 5, where we are in verse 13, he said, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You think he's serious? He said, you are letting your flesh to mature. Giving it opportunity. In chapter 5, earlier, verse 7, he said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Let me ask you this. How much mud can you, can you stir into your milk and still enjoy it? A few crumbs. You've tried that? Mmm. Might have. So Paul gives a warning. Chapter 5, verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, look at the practice. Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Did doctrine affect their behavior? Yes. 
bad doctrine leads to bad behavior every time, folks. Every single time. And when we struggle with behavior, this is what we try to do. We try to fix the behavior when the problem is the foundation. We can lay band-aids all over it. But we've got a problem at the foundation. And that's the problem that we're going to address here. Because the background of the Galatians is a background we understand very much in our own life. When we have problems with behavior, we think the answer is stop. And that's our advice. Just stop that behavior. Just don't do that behavior. Just don't do that. And that's the way we generally address bad behavior. But you don't have footing in a spiritual way. You can never win this battle apart from the Holy Spirit. Never. We can't solve it in any other way. We must go directly to the issue. The issue is pointed out in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So that's one thing. We see the background of this passage, and that's what we have to address. But also, another thing that I want to make the point as we go, we are studying the Holy Spirit here in this passage. Capital S, Holy Spirit, because we're talking about God. We're not talking about your human spirit. We're not talking about some sort of a force popular in movies today. We're not talking about some sort of a concept or a philosophy. We're talking about God. God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is 100% God. Not anything less. He's the third member of the Trinity. He is the one who has regenerated you in the spiritual life. He is the one who indwells you at the moment of your salvation. He is the one who has baptized you, which has literally plunged you into the body of Christ which is the church of Christ. He is one who seals you there and secures you until the moment you step into glory. He is your teacher. He is your guide. He is your helper. He is your advocate. He is your comforter. He is the one who prays on your behalf when you don't even know the words to speak. He is the one who convicts you as well. Do you know that too? Some people are troubled by with conviction. I think conviction is a beautiful thing. It says the Holy Spirit cares. And He's there. And He's not going to let you stay the way you are. He explains Scripture to us. It's His delight to unfold the Word to you. He will always point you to Jesus Christ. That's His role. We know He can be grieved. We know He can be quenched. We know He can be lied to. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and guess what they found out? He is God, and he can strike you dead. And you say, ooh, yes, he is God. But he also has a task. His task is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. I guarantee you something, he will not fail. He never has. He never will. He will not fail in that task. So we talk about him. And we see this phrase. We are to walk by the Spirit. 
That means we are to obey him. That means we are to trust his leadership. That means we are to be in fellowship with him. We are to seek his direction. We are to learn how he works. We are to have confidence in what he is doing. And if you're saying, boy, pastor, you just went too fast. I guarantee you, you'll hear that phrase over and over and over again. Because to walk by the Spirit is what we're called to do. It's not optional. It's not optional. To walk by the Spirit is a command. What do you do with commands? You have two options. One, obey or disobey. You're right. Where are you today in this command? Walk by the Spirit. Oh, maybe I should explain it better. It's a present tense command, which means it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And it doesn't have a stopping point. (laughs) Now, how are we doing? Walking by the Spirit. It doesn't suggest anything but a, a continuous activity that doesn't cease. We're to be walking by the Spirit. It's a practice of the believer. Peripateo is the word walk. It means to walk around. We use it as, as maintaining a, a certain walk or a certain life or a conduct, if you will. Uh, it's your behavior. It's your pattern. It's not a ritual. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's a every hour of the day thing, every day of the week thing, every week of the month thing, every month of the year thing. Also, walking implies progress, does it? Progress. Each step is meant to be intentional. Each step is in a direction. And we're not to be careless in that. We're to be purposeful. Because we have a goal. We have a goal. Maybe a little picture will help. For 27 years, Kay and I walked together. We loved taking walks together. I miss that greatly. But we took walks every day. Even in those nasty days in January, we took walks together. But when you walk together, you're side by side. When you walk together, you keep the same pace. When you walk together, you... You go the same direction. When you walk together, you communicate from time to time. You know, holding hands helps too. Think of your walk with the Holy Spirit. To walk with the Holy Spirit means we keep pace with Him. We communicate with Him. We walk in the same direction. We have fellowship with Him. On a peaceful country road, it is magnificent. On a battlefield, it is essential. See? We're on the battlefield. We must walk with him. That's why we need to discuss this mandate. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. My goal in chapter 5 is to do exactly what God has done and give us that heavy ammunition we need for this life. As John Calvin said, I quoted earlier, 
the ruin of the church is no small evil. And individually, folks, the ruin of a believer is no small evil either. So, we start with a commitment here. Which uniform are you wearing today? Which uniform are you wearing? That of the believer? That who is engaged in the battle for the glory of God and for the good of his church? When I get notes from uh, Cornerstone, uh, we get the uh, uh, teachers' meeting notes. Since we can't be there, they email them to us. And they have all these things happening. And then at the very bottom, they said, bullet points, these things you were told to do. There's two or three things they point out. So what are they? The bullet points for today. Number one, we need to put one verse to start with in our hearts and in our minds. We are to walk by the Spirit. Verse 16 says so. And we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I appeal to you to make that very important in your life. Mark it so you don't forget it. Alright? Take it seriously. Number two, as we learn to walk with the Spirit, let us make a conscious effort to do this. Carelessness is what we're good at. (laughs) Consciousness, that's the challenge. And so as we go through this, let's not, let's not consider this just a Sunday morning journey here. Let's make it the course of the practice of our lives as we go through things. This will change us, folks. It will change our activities. It will change the things that we spend our time with. It will. I guarantee that. And it starts right here with your commitment. Even before we've gone into it. Are you willing that the Lord do His work in you to make you more like Christ? That's where you have to start with your heart. Am I willing, Lord, to be changed? As we take this walk together. By the way, I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to go through this passage anyway. And sometimes there are folks I know who go kicking and screaming. I remember days like that, especially in the first grade. I don't know what I was doing. My teacher was really annoyed with me. I couldn't believe that anyone could be, but she was. And she decided I belonged in the kindergarten class. And she drugged me there. Every student in the school knew it. I remember that. That's all I remember in the first grade. I screamed and yelled and kicked and fought, but she won. And sometimes we're like that when it comes to spiritual things, aren't we? The Lord is powerful, folks. But He is loving. He is merciful. He is kind. He is good. And He is thorough. Are you ready for His work in your heart? That's what we have before us. It's the internal battlefield. And it's a good study for us. So, let's start with our commitment to the Lord today. Heavenly Father, You know us, and You know us every aspect about it. There's nothing hidden from your sight. So as we approach your throne right now, we cannot disguise one thing. We cannot pretend to be one thing that we are not. For you see all. And as we stand before you, Lord, we have just read passages that alarm us because we are in a war. And far too often we've treated it 
as insignificant. But you haven't. And thanks to your faithfulness and even to your grace, you have brought us to this day. And you have set before us a very intense passage. And we are here as your children, Lord, because we love you, because we trust you, but because we also want your work to be accomplished in and through us. And this world, as one man once said, has yet to see what God can do to a man who's totally committed to him. And we would stand up this morning and say, Lord, we want to be those kind of men and women. The kind that you work through, the kind that you change, that you make more like Christ. Not only do we need this, but our world needs this. For we are testimonies of what God can do. So, here we start with our commitment, even before we've gone into great depth. Our commitment is where we must start. And I pray that every heart here is willing to walk with the Spirit. Willing to walk with the Spirit. Help us to understand it as days go by, but start with our heart, we pray today. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.